Previously on Steambox Versus, Bruce Leroy, the last dragon, shared the glow. The Iron Sheep broke backs and made us humble. Michio Kaku showed us how to find dark matter. Samus and Megarad led a rap battle for the ages, and we plunged into virtual reality in Ready Player One. Will Steambox make it back to Ghibli in Japan? Will the Boston Celtics dunk on us? Will the Dragon Ball Z narrator ever join the crew? Stay tuned and find out on Steambox Versus. All right, this is Roberto. You're back with another Steambox podcast. We've got the crew from Central Falls. We've got the Warriors. Warriors from Central Falls, please say what's up to the world. What's up? Oh. In the house with us, our, our Palestine correspondent. We sent somebody to the streets to bring back some information and share what they've learned. May or may not have been a total coincidence that they were there this year, and but they're willing to share with us. We've got Nathaniel Manick. Nathaniel also ran Luis Daniel Munoz's campaign for governor. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We are happy to have you. We have so much to learn. All I read is bullshit and things that are I know wrong. I, I Things that are I know wrong. And have you guys ever looked on social media and somebody has an opinion of something that you know is wrong, but it's somebody who you respect and you're like, oh, what the hell is this? Yeah, you, Roberto. Like, yeah, yeah, probably. Dang. Probably um, when I talk about your sports teams. And Dang, <laughs> we want to sort some of this out because... I'll be completely honest, somebody that I have super, super respect for in the Jewish community uh, is is talking about the the terrorism that Palestine is behind. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. Well, hold on a second, right? We've got terrorists here in the U.S., but that's not the U.S.'s terrorism, right? It's like people within the U.S. If there's a gang in Central Falls who's who shot somebody... It's not Central Falls who shot somebody. It's the, like, gang. And even by saying gang, I'm oversimplifying and already putting words out there with, con with, with connotations. I don't have the context. I haven't been on the ground. I already know that I'm full of shit and talking about something I have no idea about. That's why I wanted to briefly, quickly start with Eli. Eli's working on a project. Eli, can you very quickly tell us about your project? Uh, my project that I'm working on is, is called Project Nucleus uh, for my AP bio class. Uh, we are assigned to make a campaign for an organelle in the cell. Those are like uh, the parts of the cell that do separate jobs. And the organelle I'm running for is the nucleus. Uh, right now, we have like a political campaign? Like a political campaign. We're just arguing for why we are the best uh, best organelle in the cell. Oh, I saw those around the school. There was a flyer saying which like organelle is the Wait, best. I thought you, I'm sorry. That's that's important. I thought you were asking me for money. No, uh, <laughs> if you read on the letter I sent you, it said, I do not want anything in return. I just want to use your name as an endorsement. Uh, we don't need any, any money for this. It's a school project. And you asked Nathaniel that maybe he has some advice for you because he has some experience running a campaign. Yeah. Would you have a, what's your direct question for him? And then we'll probably learn about the campaign. How did you brainstorm for ideas or what you wanted to say? Like, how did you, like, clearly and concisely, because I have trouble with that. Yeah, so, um, hello, and just for context, I had managed Dr. Lewis Daniel Munoz's campaign for governor of Rhode Island in 2022. 
I think we would try to, you know, think about the audience that we were going to speak to. So a lot of times we would have forums that would be kind of catered to specific events. So not like the televised or the radio debates, but different um, advocacy groups would host different forums. So I think the Environmental Council from Rhode Island had one on environmental issues. We saw one from Children's Friend and right from the start that was mostly focused on early childhood issues really, you know, trying to do policy research on those areas and try to speak authentically and in depth to those specific issues, because we would have an audience of people who were very vested in that specific area. So trying to meet people where they are in a sense. And that was, um, I think that was our game plan and trying to just be you know, as authentic and as transparent as possible with the policy that we put forward. The project isn't something to be voted on, but we're making it seem like it's a presidential campaign. We're actually to a panel of judges uh, who are mostly scientists. So that gave me ideas on who, how to pander to them. Uh, but everyone else could help too by just dropping a follow on the underscore project underscore nucleus on Instagram. One more time. The underscore project underscore nucleus on Instagram. No capitals. I'll add it's important to do, you know, have authenticity beside behind your words, too, and not just, you know, not just pandering. You know, that is a trap that is easy to fall into. But, you know, making sure you're authentic about the ideas you have and what you believe in them, regardless of political consequences. Be careful what advice you take from Nathaniel, because Luis Daniel Munoz lost. He lost. He lost the campaign. And here's what drives me crazy. One of the things they did, by the way, uh, he's a warrior. He's from Central Falls, and he's a Latino, uh, Puerto Rican, and so he's somebody who's actually from here, and I went to the debate that was televised, and in this debate, you ever watch a debate, and maybe some of the last presidential debates, and you see somebody who clearly knows what they're talking about, and then you see somebody who's just an a-hole, and the whole audience is like, woo, I'm team a-hole. And you're like, what is this world that I'm living in? <laughs> have you ever seen anything like that? Yeah. I mean, for both parties, I felt like recently have not been. Just w one more question. Uh, what do you think you could have done better on the campaign? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the obvious one that comes to me was fundraising. So to give a picture, I, you know, we had raised well under $50,000. And to give you an idea, some of our opponents had north of a million. So that, you know, handicaps you in a number of ways, being able to advertise, being able to hire staff and have maintain a field presence. So that's a skill that I'm definitely looking forward um, to developing. I think, too, there were at times where I kind of had strategic ideas that, you know, maybe just weren't, you know, were more emotional or weren't as well thought out. And that amazed me how. I think emotionally invested. I got involved in the campaign and, you know, our the coverage that we got from different media outlets throughout the state, I didn't always feel was fair. And I was and mostly, yeah, mostly me, sometimes Dr. Munoz as well, was very quick to go to Twitter or other outlets and voice discontent about that. And there were times when maybe I should have been more calculated about, you know, how I expressed my frustration and kind of the form that those responses took. Yeah, I would say some of the more conventional campaigning skills, definitely fundraising and, you know, spreading awareness about our candidacy. We just we just had a conversation before you walked in the room. Somebody, who who in here said pay for play? It was Brandon. I oh, okay. Uh, what does pay for play mean? 
thing, you buy stuff in the, we pay for play. And if you want to be competitive in the game, you have to spend more money. And we started talking about whether or not there was institutional racism and that in itself, does it seem fair that the votes favor oftentimes, usually, not always, the campaign with the biggest money? Nathaniel's telling you that if he could go back and do things different, the first thing that he would change is his strategy to get money because that's where he targets where the campaign went wrong. And isn't that a shame that if you have less money, but a better campaign, you ain't winning. Is that not weird? I mean, I think it's more of like, as Nathaniel said, it's more of an advertising type thing. It's not like, oh, you have a lot of money, so you the value to win. It's that you are literally everywhere. <clears throat> so it's much easier to find you than to find the lesser person with less money because they don't have the money to buy those spots. So it could be easily won by some Zero to 100, how much of it is that? I think that is very accurate in diagnosing half of it. So I think there is a sense, yes, where without the money, you know, that limits your ability to buy things. You know, you can't buy things that you don't have money for. So, you know, whether that's advertising space, whether that's ad, um, hiring personnel, but also, and this was something that I really didn't think about until I was actually there and working with the campaign, is that there money will dictate a lot of the coverage as well. And if your fundraising doesn't meet a certain threshold, as we saw, you know, you had mentioned, Roberto, the televised debate, there were two. We were only invited to one and held out. And the other one due in large part to our lack of fundraising. Can I, can I pause? So I saw Dr. Munoz come prepared for that debate, lay down facts and responses that were superior to all of the other candidates. I am biased. He's a friend of Steambox. He's a friend of mine. I am biased. But that's what I saw. And some of the other people saw that too. So how does that go wrong? Did you see that on that debate? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm obviously very biased. But um, yes, you know, I really thought through, especially that one televised debate, I thought we performed very well, you know, in terms of policy. And this was just a trend throughout the campaign. I felt we were, you know... um. We were probably the most detailed in terms of putting out policy. Like there were a number of op-eds in the Boston Globe and Providence Journal that Dr. Munoz had authored sometimes with community members who were experts on certain issues, whether it was healthcare, housing, education, that frankly, for the most part, I really didn't see a lot of our opponents engaging in um, this type of in-depth policy discussion. But to the to the point about money, I will say... I noticed like our media coverage, it, it wouldn't, having a lack of funds didn't just hurt us in terms of not being able to, you know, purchase goods and services, but also how we were characterized. So I'll give an example. Um, the first, I think the first or second candidate forum we had, there were, there was us and five other candidates, four other Democrats and a Republican. And I thought we had performed well. I had people come up to me and tell me that, you know, he had performed very well. But when the Boston Globe did a write-up on it and it had little sections about evaluating each candidate's performance and we got done to Dr. Munoz, it essentially said he doesn't have the funds or the name recognition to win. So his performance, you know, isn't very relevant here. And 
you know, something about seeking lower office. We saw that with Bernie Sanders in 2016 and was it in uh, 2020 also? I, um, yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't know about, um, for Bernie specifically, but at least, um, you know, for us on this level, I, I noticed that a lot of the coverage is rooted in how much you are raising and less focused on the ideas and solutions that you're so I'd like to say, I'm coming right to you. I'd like to say that, uh, th please, I hope you understand that's not an attack. I've had so many conversations with Dr. Munoz, again, a friend, somebody who I love. Uh, I've had so many conversations with Dr. Munoz about it, and it was almost apologetically expressing my pessimism in the campaign. It has nothing to do with your ability to lead a campaign. It has nothing to do with Dr. Munoz. It was that he was coming from a straight shooter talking about facts going into the community and working with the community, it was my disbelief in our society. It was my disbelief in our society that people are, are ready for that or want that, somebody who's ready to serve them. We kind of just want the commercial kind of answer all the time or the person who looks like they belong there because they've been there for 50 years. That was my pessimism. What did you want to add? Another thing about our project is our teacher is encouraging slander and bias. So if you had any advice for how to deal with that, I would be thankful. All? I think you have to approach, really look at kind of each piece of slander or attacks that are thrown at you. And, you know, not, I guess the knee-jerk reaction is to be defensive and counter it. But sometimes, you know, leaning into it can be an effective strategy too. So for an example, with our campaign, you know, Dr. Munoz is a physician and a community organizer, but a lot of times people would not mention that he was a physician when talking about us. They would just say Luis Daniel Munoz, community activist. And early on, and I have to give him credit for this, his idea was to lean into that and to say, yes, I am the community activist. The governor should be the state's activist. And that kind of destroys the ability of others to weaponize that characterization. I think part of that is what we're going to talk about today, where uh, people have preconceived notions of some of these words. When we hear Muslim, right, some people have an adverse reaction right away. When we hear Jewish, some people have an adverse reaction right away. When we hear activist, some people have an adverse reaction right away. What blew my mind was the term black lives matter. Think about that. What does that mean? Black lives matter. You're saying that black people's lives matter. Matter. It's a simple sentence. People get pissed at that. People get pissed. All lives matter. That gives people such a metaphorical wedgie when they hear that. It's so wild. And I think that's one of those things. Activist is another one of those things. So you went into Palestine for in during the summer, right? Yes. And you were in that whole situation that was going on, right? Um, no, no. So I was also too. I should have pointed this out from the beginning. I was in the West Bank, so I did not go to Gaza. I did not visit Gaza or that region. Um, but I was in the West Bank from end of June to middle of August. As an intern, I was interning and also um taking courses. I am sorry. Now I'm realizing there's more background information. Sure, no, no, this is tired. But um, I am uh, pursuing a master's degree in international affairs at the New School in New York, and they have an international field program that is open to New School students as well as um, students from other colleges and universities as well. 
and I was able to spend, I think, I think this, this past year was the inaugural, um, international field program for Palestine. So I was excited to be a part of that. And essentially I lived there for about six to seven weeks and I interned with a local NGO, non-government organization, and also took courses at a, um, or a course at a university there as well. And I was in the city of Ramallah in the West Bank. I'm very interested to hear your reception and experience there, but go on to your question. So the good and the bad, let's see, how do I start the bad? Let's go with the bad first. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, you know, in this world. Let's, I was going to be nice about it. Okay. okay. Let's talk about the room. Oh, let's read the room area. Read the room area. A lot of jokes come out of it, you know. You're gonna call you're gonna call one of our peers fatty and then he's gonna call you a terrorist. <coughs> and you guys right. play off of you guys play off of uh you know, it's a back and forth. Stereo. I call him fat, he calls me a bomber. There is a fine line that we do not cross at times. What's that fine line? Fat and bomber isn't the fine line, so what's the fine line? There's a fine line that we do where we specifically hurt each other because of it. I don't think that's a fine line. I think that's a fine line because there's a lot of jokes and messed up shit that me and Keith have said to each other. <laughs> but I feel like that's everything. I feel like art as an organization is so desensitized that we use jokes about stuff we shouldn't has like humor to like get past it. A hundred percent. And there's also the bad thing. I, I I didn't really think about it until I was doing my own resume. Um, you cannot mention religion and anything at all. Like for, what is that? What does that mean? I hear the words, but what does that mean? For example, um, in my resume, I put in I help with Islamic events, um, to different Islamic events at the YMCA. Yep. I my dad looked at it. He said, "No, remove this. Or take out Islamic events. Put cultural event because if the person that reads your resume sees this, they will. You don't know who you're gonna come up with. Someone that's like racist. Someone that's white racist or anything." And they're gonna be like, "Oh, it's a Muslim guy. I don't want this guy hired, or I don't want this guy accepted into this college." So you change your behavior, you change the way that you talk, you change the way that you present yourself, because just so that you don't, just so that you don't initiate somebody else's xenophobia. Basically, yeah. And I think the most recent one happened to was also in Japan. Tell me about Japan. So on the way back uh, from Japan, I got separated from you guys while we were trying to board the plane. Because they checked me for um, bomb residue. <laughs> because because my entire passport, because I don't really go anywhere else in the world besides besides Japan. My entire passport is just multiple stamps of Morocco, which is a retor- uh, that renowned, not renowned, like a notorious Islamic country. And that's what people see on my passport. And it, you didn't believe that it was random. I didn't believe it was random because I was the only person that was chosen. Everyone how, else got in. How did that make you feel? I was like whoa what's going on here i i was like it, it's kind of like just happened it, like i couldn't really say i think or process anything until like after i got on the plane has anybody ever been wounded by some of the jokes on each other no yeah no you haven't been wounded you have tell I, me about it you as I, much as you want to you don't have to i feel like i just it just get i i i it's that also the right word but i get clowned on a lot I get clowned on a lot for basically anything I do. And my, yeah, I can take a joke, but there are some times where I am just over it. Is it possible some of that stuff 
is some of the reasons that you do throw stones, is it possible that it's because of a lifetime of hearing that stuff back? I guess you would say so, yeah. <laughs> I think it's something that we should all think about, that if you are going to express opinions like Spider-Man 3 is the best <laughs> Spider-Man movie. What is? Oh, I, I'm, I, I'm with that. Like, you know, have, have a conversation, have an argument, a love argument. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I feel like they just, I just like, exist sometimes and they just come at me. Is there any one thing, is there one thing that we can do to treat each other better? Think before we speak and ask people of their opinions. And I should, I should work on that the most, to be honest. Uh, character growth. <laughs> character growth. I have two questions about that. So we just got off the topic about propaganda um, and uh, defaming. Is that what the word you were talking about earlier? Def uh, My memory doesn't work. I'm sorry. Defamation. I'm sorry. Defamation of other people. So in, while you were in, um, in the country, what kind of like propaganda or like def defamation have you seen to the Muslim people or Palestinians? When I was, um, do you mean just kind of broadly or like in terms of like, you know, Israeli propaganda? I'd like to hear even worse. Both, yeah. And so I know that um, I didn't, a lot of um, media messaging targeted at locals is in, you know, Arabic. So I do not um, speak Arabic. So if there was some, I may have, may have missed that. I know that there are a lot of um, uh like there is a, I think, state-run um, media um, company there that you know broadcasts and tries to get a lot of on-the-ground insight. Um, you know, I've found, I mean, some of their reporting I found to be really, really good. So I don't want to, you know, assign the title of propaganda, but I know there are local media sources which obviously do cater to a local audience. Although I will say that. Um, and I think especially now in light of recent events, a lot I've seen a lot of Palestinian news agencies seem to push to kind of expand their reach, whether that's offering um, articles or broadcasts in different languages and trying to um, shed light on what's going on in the region. Um, let's see, when I, you know, when I was there, I... I'm trying to think because I didn't spend a ton of time in, you know, Israel proper. So I was in um, Haifa, which was a, you know, a coastal city that does have a substantial Palestinian population as well. And, you know, also in um, not as part of the program, but I was in Tel Aviv briefly as well. Um, honestly, I didn't, you know, engage with the media a ton while I was over there, but you know, definitely now I'd say since the, um, I mean, you can even, it's kind of crazy just even going on social media now and seeing like Israeli government officials or even, you know, their own government, like Twitter account putting out either paying for ad space or, you know, putting out these very, um, kind of very inflammatory statements that are clearly meant to, you know, kind of stoke tensions and, you know, evoke an emotional response. So I think, you know, in the coming in the coming months, too, that's going to be something to watch and to look at. Sorry, I couldn't give more of a clear cut answer. Part of the time there, part of the area where things get confused and I feel like some people do stuff like this on purpose, like when we heard Barack Obama and people start questioning whether or not they have a Barack has a birth certificate and stuff like that. Right. Like like they they want you to start to ask questions and uh, about the wrong thing kind of thing. Um, 
one of the things that I've seen is a lot of confusion for Hamas, the group that's taken responsibility for the initial, in this version of the conflict. Um, and again, I'm oversimplifying and please feel free to correct. But I've seen a lot of uh, terminology that's made to intentionally confuse people between Hamas and Palestinians. So I'm asking you, is Hamas and Palestinians, are they the same thing? Um, no. And, you know, for example, I, you know, I lived in the West Bank. Hamas does not operate in the West Bank. They do not, you know, control the government. They're not the governing party there. They are not the military wing there. They are, you know, in Gaza. They are, you know, a section that has their own, you know, group of set of beliefs and strategies. But no, for broadly speaking, they do not represent all Palestinians. And, you know, I will say this conflation, you know, this is this is nothing new. You know, we can look at, you know, I guess really just histories of, you know, Islamophobia, certainly in the West, especially in this country. And, you know, even if we look at, you know, going back to post 9-11 hysteria and how people tending to, you know, let their, I guess, let racist tendencies sort of take over and not, you know, be able to really differentiate between groups of people, strategies of different groups or approaches of different organizations. Did you have another part to the question? Yeah. So my second question, but it's going to be with all of this, everything that you've read about, everything that you personally have seen, which side do you stand on? Oh, pick a side. <laughs> pick a side. Is this generally Muslims versus uh, Jewish people? Is it Israel versus Hamas? It's more of the fact which country is suffering so because because hamas is completely separate we established that hamas is completely separate from the palestinians so does that mean is it right for the israelis to make the palestinians suffer for what the people from hamas did so this is an opinion question not a fact question go for it yeah absolutely not um you know you look at you look at the death tolls i think it's you know surpassed fifteen thousand in gaza um, that was a figure I got from Al Jazeera recently. It was either today or yesterday. I think they've had 800, ca 800 Palestinian casualties since the ceasefire ended. And what you're seeing is, you know, collective punishment. That's 15,000 people. I don't, I think it's mostly civilians from what I've heard. And in fact, you know, one of, um, one of the spokespeople for the Israeli government was on Piers Morgan's show recently. Yep. And... When confronted about, you know, how do you know who you're killing? You know, he, you know, he said, oh, we've killed lots of, you know, Hamas members, but didn't really provide any means of verifying it. And that's when you're, you know, indiscriminately bombing apartment complexes, hospitals, schools. You know, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not launching a targeted attack. You're indiscriminately bombing and... At this point, yes, I, you know, I believe the IDF is intentionally targeting civilians now. And I certainly, um, I certainly, you know, support the Palestinians and, you know, not just in Gaza, but, you know, in the West Bank, there's been violent there. I, you know, heard personal stories about violent attacks that have taken place. And I'll remind you, you know, Hamas isn't over there. So this idea that it's about eradicating Hamas for 
It's a defensive mission. It clearly is not about that. At first, at first, I had the thought that since I didn't know much about the conflict, I had just thought that Israel was simply defending himself before I seen actually took a dive into what's actually happening. And one of the things that started making me that made me doubt that was that I saw this movement that started happening. I forget where, but it was in like one of those states. I think it was like Florida or something, but I don't remember specifically. But it was a place with a lot of Israelis. And they basically just started this whole movement saying that, oh, all of Pakistan should just be eradicated. It doesn't matter who they are. And I'm like, that is not okay. That's genocide. That is pure genocide. That's ironic too. Yeah. Why is it Why is it ironic? Because Israel... So after World War II happened... Uh, and all the Jews that were displaced, they uh, didn't America place Jews back in Israel because that's where they said they wanted to go. Yeah. So if those are the same, uh, same people are uh, this their children now or grandchildren, and they're asking, they're claiming they want genocide is kind of ironic because they their people's genocide in for too. I think you're getting right. Well, it wasn't America; it was the UK, the United yeah. Kingdom. It was uh, Allied forces, right? Replacing it was just yeah, yeah, mainly mainly the UK. I want to be clear too, though, because you know we're. We're talking about religion as well. And what I heard time and time again from speaking to Palestinians is, you know, and there are, Palis- there are plenty of Palestinian Jews as well. And from a lot of from their perspectives, it's, you know, not about religion. It's about, you know, pushing back against the occupation, against the, you know, in the West Bank, the um, Israeli settler violence that happens consistently and, you know, the state sanctions it or even supports it in certain instances so you know there is this that is one of the narratives i've seen a lot is this discussion about religion but you know i look at this as a human rights issue and you know religion obviously you know it works its way into everything and there certainly are you know contexts where it's important to talk about but just Broadly speaking, this was something I heard time and time again from, you know, Palestinians was it wasn't viewed and never was viewed in their eyes as a religious conflict. The sense of irony, I think, is important. And especially, especially, first of all, the idea of something I want to be very clear with all my students all the time on is if we're talking about a group of people, right, there's no group of people that are all the same. It's just not the case. So I can't look at any group of people that say they're all good, they're all bad, all that stuff. Except maybe cops, but that's a whole nother. If we're if we're talking about the irony there, obviously there are many Jewish people who realize that and the victimhood. Uh, quick numbers that I pulled up: Christianity is thirty-one percent of the population. Um, there is, yeah, okay, uh, of the entire galaxy, in fact. Uh, and I didn't need, it's not even in the chart, it's too small, but I already know this from the work that you guys did last year when we were talking about the Holocaust, the percent of Jewish people amongst people, what percentage do you think that would be? 31% for Christians. Less than one? It is less than one. It is 0.2%. That's how small the population of Jewish people is, 0.2%. So genocide's actually a really big deal and there is a very strong history associated with this. So I, th- I think that's a really good point to point out. Not that, I, again, to point out, to, to say that, to separate Jewish people from the people attacking, right? This is like government. This is like a state-sponsored 
This is Israel, not Jewish people in general. And I, I just want to separate those two. What was your question, too? Um, instead of talking about the conflict, uh, since you did your internship in the West Bank of Palestine, I want to know what was the most beautiful experience you had there, or the most uh, memorable. Yes, yeah, so we were looking, I can give more details about the project, but I'll just kind of keep it on, keep it brief. But some of what my research um, and my internship um, was co consisted of was going on field visits to small villages in the West Bank that are located near Israeli settlements. And I don't know if you know about um, the settlement expansion or construction that's going on, but essentially there have been for decades now Israeli settlements. So, and when I say settlements, I mean little, you know, small villages that have been constructed in the West Bank and are kind of expanding and sort of taking over Palestinian land. And in, you know, many instances, construction around those pushes and displaces the villagers within that region. Mm. Um, so we would go visit and meet individuals and community members who had, you know, have consistently dealt with and combated settler violence. And I remember, I think this was my first day, you know, on the job. And we went out to the small village about an hour or so north of Ramallah, where I was staying. And we met with a um, man who had lived in a house kind of a little bit of a distance away from the village in a valley and on top of the mountain surrounding it there were two different settlement outposts and we went up on his roof and I was looking and he had olive groves that had been completely burnt by settlers and he was sharing that they would come down the hill sometimes you know 10 of them sometimes like 50 of them so you know it's a lot of people and they would throw rocks at his house or like pebbles. And, you know, that day nothing happened. But throughout the summer, I would get um, I would get texts from the um, supervisor I had at this NGO that I was interning with that would have videos. Of What's an NGO? Non-government organization. So um, similar if you want to think about it, similar to a nonprofit. But um, I would get. I would get videos and photos of, you know, this man's property, you know, where I had stood being attacked and, you know, you can, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm talking like 10, 50 people coming down that hill, but also you can't, you know, fight back because the policing force out there is the IDF, the Israeli defense forces, and they will, you know, the vast majority of the time take the side of the settlers so, you know, when they say existence is resistance by, you know, just staying on that property, that was a form of resisting the settler violence that goes on there and has, you know, gone on there well before, you know, October of this year. Give our audience a sense. So our audience is Nathaniel. Our audience is Nathaniel. Our students are Nathaniel. We're there in the situation that you just described. Zero to a hundred, how much fear do we have on moments? And for that, I mean, for me personally, you know, I trusted who I was with. You know, I was with a group of locals. So, you know, I felt 
fine, but it was a, it was a very, for me, it was a very, you know, moving experience seeing the, you know, essentially the daily struggle that this person and many other Palestinian villagers have to go through on the front lines of this settler violence where they really, you know, lack in avenue to combat. And, you know, you think of it, you know, in some instances, I, I draw parallels a lot between um, IDF and, you know, American police forces. We can, you know, by the way, there have been reports, too, where IDF and U.S. police forces will train each other or participate in shared mutual training exercises. So Isn't Steven Seagal doing you that? Had, um, <laughs> well, you had mentioned you had mentioned the police earlier. So I felt that was, you know, important context to put it as well. It was something that for me was eye opening. It was a part of the conflict that. You know, you'll hear about the settlements and the settlers, but to actually see these, you know, even if they're anecdotal, to see these human stories and human experiences, especially for families, you know, who have been on this property for, you know, generations and now, you know, are subjected to these attacks frequently was something that, um, something that I think more than anything else really stuck with me from my time over there. I don't think we got you on this podcast this school year. It's been since last school year. Oh, Welcome back. Oh, what was the place that I went to again? Palestine. In Palestine, yes. Yeah, Palestine. So like if you if you met, if you were able to meet a 10 years younger version of yourself, what would they think of your journey to Palestine? Let's see. So I'm 24, so I would have been 14 year old teen at the time. Mom, freshman in high school, Nathaniel. Uh, don't don't say that. it makes me feel old now. <laughs> I, I'm not 24 is so old. Uh, I um <laughs> at 24, you already ran a gubernatorial campaign, been around the world. I've been very I've been very fortunate with the opportunities that I've had. Um. 10 years ago, what I would have thought of it, I don't know if I would have really had the kind of skills yet to um, sort of fully comprehend and understand the um, depths of, you know, what I was seeing. Um, you know, I still question if I fully, um, you know, how I'd fully process it and, you know, what to what to do and how to channel some of this information into action. Yeah, I think... Um, I don't know. Sorry, that's a really that's a really tough one. But I ten years ago, you're seven seven years old. Yeah, seven year seven year old Isaiah. The seven. What does seven year old Isaiah think about seventeen year old Isaiah? I'd say I'd say be proud of like how much progress I've gotten, how far I've gotten. Yeah, I mean, gonna be graduating next year. Wow, this year. Yeah, this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. This yeah next year. Next year, like calendar. Yeah, I'm in twenty twenty four. Yeah. I just count as school years because I'm so young. Seventy-year-old <laughs> Isaiah would be impressed at how right you were just now, uh, and he'd probably also really love your beard. I, this wasn't just for the students in this room, and I'm sorry that most of the girls are doing driver's ed. With all the misinformation, what information do you want to bring back? You've been there firsthand. What do you want people to know or read? I think they should know that you know the spike in coverage may have occurred. It's since October, but that there, you know, is a much deeper past to this. I think, you know, looking at specifically some of these Western outlets to, you know, look at them with discernment and, you know, a 
fair level of skepticism and to, you know, understand that, you know, there are, there is a lot of biases and the media in terms of the coverage of this. What does that mean? What does it mean to look at something with a fair level of skepticism? I think to, you know, I think to read it, to see the type of language that is used, for example, you know, seeing someone has been killed versus someone has died, you know, like how we've seen a lot of, um, I think, differentiation in how, you know, Israeli deaths are reported versus Palestinian deaths, even just when it comes down to the language that is used. I'd say too, to, um, you know, just because this was the area that I got to see to, you know, understand that, unfortunately, you know, there are there has been, you know, patterns of violence in, you know, either that's led by the IDF or sanctioned by the IDF via the settlers in the West Bank. And that is an area that, you know, Hamas is not in. So when you hear these, you know, this is pushing back, back against terrorism or this is, you know, a defensive war to, you know, really kind of look at and try to understand the geography. How many, how many deaths did you say? 15,000? I believe it was a good north of 15,000, I think. Over 15,000 deaths. There were over 15,000 terrorists? Yeah, most of those are civilians. Most of those are civilians. And, you know, with, so that's, you know, with terrorism, I just want to say too, because I keep hearing, you know, eliminate, eliminate Hamas, eliminate terrorism. You know, what's the, what's the measuring stick? you know, that you're using for that? Are you, you know, looking for, sir, which I, by the way, I feel like it's relevant to mention, I believe most of Hamas leadership is in Qatar right now. They're not in Gaza. So, you know, when you hear these, and I mean, I'll go back to, you know, the early 2000s in the US, you know, war on terror, like you're going to defeat terror, you're at war with a concess, right? Mm. You know, so I think that these are deliberately, you know, ambiguous goals that are set in order to prolong the violence and prolong the war. I mean, it wraps up like propaganda comes back to all. Yeah, so it's, it's subtle. It's not always, you know, it you comes know, back old Sam and these, you know, posters. Like it's very, there are subtle ways and just kind of, you know, even if you just look at how the la- let the language that is used for it, so... It sounds like it sounds like we want to give a little bit more consideration towards the lives being lost to the Palestinian lives being lost and all of the lives being lost there I think are important but I I think I think what I'm hearing is the way that it's being reported and the way that the story is being told is a little bit different. Shout out to Dr. Munoz for connecting us. That dude is that dude is my brother and he's been a, a friend of Steambox. I have always I have always had like sorrow for not believing in people. I've always believed in him and your campaign, but I've never believed in the system here that he was so far and proudly outside of, which is what makes me love him. I'm, a, I'm, that, I'm that rebel too. I live outside of that system, but I also know what it's like and being treated like a second-class citizen, not only because of my race, but because of my refusal to participate in that system. Anyway, uh, I really appreciate the campaign that you ran. Thank you. Um, it means so much. And support. No, I'm, I'm serious. You know, having support of people who are engaged in the community, you know, people who are, you know, fighting the good fight, people who, 
you know, don't talk about the work and do the work, you know, that's what, you know, that's what pushed us. And I know obviously that's been, you know, Dr. Munoz's, you know, mission and getting involved in politics. It's so wild. The, our audience didn't hear, uh, because we did two podcasts back, back to back. And the other one was about the gaming companies who are making you pay extra for this premium and how you get an extra level of benefits. When it comes to politics, I, I totally believe that if you can take money, if you can make it illegal to have disproportionate spending I and, and illegal for campaigns to take money from cigarette companies, right? Or, uh, or, or vape companies or gun companies or any of these other companies. I feel like so many of our problems, you, what you would be left with is people with just their, their intent, right? Like, like without, uh, without that capitalist mindset. Uh, so all the conversations kind of came back around, just like you were saying. Uh, Nathaniel, thank you very much for being here. Should anybody follow your work anywhere? Is there anywhere, a social media, a website, anything that you want to direct our audience to? I mean, um, my handle definitely for, um, you know, Twitter and Instagram is at Nathaniel Manock. Twitter's more of my, um, kind of political public facing one. So I would direct people there. You could see a lot of fun, um, uh, Rhode Island politics commentary. Twitter word you keep using? X, sorry guys, I'm going to need to stay with the times, but yeah, that's, I think my, that's generally where I, um, primarily post my contributions about thoughts pertaining to Rhode Island politics mostly, but also other issues as well. Thank you so much. Uh, with two of our students, uh, the delegation of Muslims and the delegation of big bondedness, uh, we're calling for a ceasefire among students. So hopefully we can make that happen too. Steambox Warriors from Central Falls, please say peace out to the world. Peace, peace out. out.